He notices the anger. And underneath the anger, there is anxiety. And with the anxiety, he begins to sense fear, the fear of being late, the fear of being judged. And after labeling the anger, the anxiety, and the fear, he stays with these feelings for a moment. And he pauses again, and he takes a breath. Hi, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in to our Four Times Mindfulness podcast. And when I say our, I mean Neela Steele and myself. And I wanted to provide some context as to why we are releasing our Four Times Mindfulness podcast series. And if we hit the rewind button, we actually go back five or six years ago when Neil and I uh, started this four times mindfulness podcast series and we did it pretty consistently we were living in China at the time I think it was around 2015 and we started this podcast series because we are both very passionate about mindfulness and well-being so we noticed that we were always having conversations with each other about what we were reading or what we were learning and we thought we should just put this out in a podcast form because it's a way for us to really share what it is we're learning and what we want to share with others. So we did it as a passion project and we I think had done 18 or 19 even 20 episodes and then we just stopped doing them. We moved to Saudi Arabia, uh, we got busy and you really have to make time for these things. And we're on vacation right now. We talked about reviving the Four Times Mindfulness podcast series. And we decided to take action and do it. So this is now, I guess it would be our 20th or 21st episode of Four Times Mindfulness. But we feel like it's the first episode again. It's very easy to have natural conversations when we're going for walks or we're sitting down having a nice meal. But when you know you're being recorded, it there's a different kind of pressure. But it's a good pressure, and, and uh, we always learn from doing these episodes. So what it is, is we call it four times mindfulness because we share one idea related to mindfulness each. We call it a seed, a mindfulness seed. So four seeds of mindfulness or well-being. Uh, but it's always connected back to mindfulness. So in today's episode, we're going to share two seeds of mindfulness each, why these seeds of mindfulness are important to us. And we really hope that as you're listening, that you think about how these seeds might apply in your own life, what it has you thinking about. And if you're already well attuned and experienced with mindfulness, how can you extend on your current knowledge and even deepen it by thinking about the things that we're sharing and how they might apply to your own life. So 
It's never about us having the right answers. It's more a discussion and ideas that we can bounce back and forth and uh, really learn from each other. So, with that, let's jump right into Neela and I recording our Four Times Mindfulness podcast from Gullen, Scotland. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody, you heard the intro, uh, what the Four Times Mindfulness podcast is all about. And I'm really happy that Neela and I have decided to start up the podcast series again. It really is a passion project of ours, mindfulness, everything to do with mindfulness, really. So what a perfect week to do it, because it is our anniversary week, 23 years ago, May 1st. We got married in Toronto, Canada, and we decided to come to Scotland to celebrate our anniversary and have time away from the boys who are doing their own thing right now. Uh, Our oldest son is studying for his final exams in grade 12 back in Saudi Arabia. Our youngest boy, Ty, is in Spain uh, at soccer training in Valencia, Spain. So the family is really spread out. It's the first time we've been spread out like this, but Neil and I are currently in Gullen, Scotland, which is a beautiful seaside town about an hour outside of Edinburgh. Uh, We've been here now three times, but we absolutely adore this country. And I'm going to let Neela tell you now what her favorite part of the past week has been. I think really it's quite simple what I've been enjoying and that's the hikes every day. We've been out and by the sea, um, there are beautiful dogs that are running along the sea and... It's been so pleasant, especially the duality of living in the desert and being able to hike and feeling chilled to the bone. So those simple things have made me happy. So in the intro, I shared what the Four Times Mindfulness podcast was about. Neela and I share two seeds of mindfulness each. So I will begin. Neela, is it, do you want me to start? Or yeah, do you want, okay. So... I'm going to start with the first seed of mindfulness being a quote. Uh, So Neela mentioned that we were going for hikes every day. And on our first morning here, we went for a beautiful walk along the coastline. And we were walking uh, through a field and looking at this beautiful, beautiful view of the Firth of Forth, um, which is just a beautiful body of water. And you can imagine this open land with sand dunes and long grass and lots of different types of plants. And so we're hiking along and then we see a bench. And on the bench was a quote. And when we look closer, we saw that it was a quote in honor of a woman named uh, Nicola Marshall who was born in 1962, and she died in 2016. And what the plaque on the bench said is, in loving memory of Nicola Marshall, and then the quote said this, pause a while and connect the landscape with the quiet of the sky. And I caught myself kind of looking at the quote and then realized that Nicola had probably spent a lot of time hiking along 
this area and probably sat on that bench looking out at the beautiful views. It reminded me about the importance of being present and how oftentimes we can get so busy with our life and it can be a blur and you can be experiencing all of these wonderful things yet you are not present enough in the moment to appreciate them. So the quote was a bit moving when I looked at it through that lens and then we just turned our bodies and looked out at the sea and we sat there for a few minutes and there were families, you know, walking down along the beach, which was about 40 meters, 40, 50 meters below us. Um, but there were families walking along and dogs running around and a slight wind and a, you know, cold chill and the wind coming off the sea. And we just sat there for a few minutes and we didn't talk and we looked out at this beautiful view. And then I caught myself feeling so much gratitude for being able to be back in Scotland to celebrate our anniversary and to be there in that moment required my fullest attention. So for maybe five or 10 minutes, we sat there and we just really appreciated the surroundings. And it's just a reminder, a simple reminder. And I think simple reminders are all around us every single day. Yet we can oftentimes fail to see them. So it just takes a a moment to catch yourself when you're not being present, pull yourself into the present moment, look around, appreciate what's around you, and to have gratitude for that. And that's why I wanted to share that quote and provide the listeners with more context for why I'm sharing it. So wherever you are and you know, you're listening to this, you know, just take a moment to pause and look around and, and be appreciative for the good things in your life because I think oftentimes we fail to do that. And in curiosity, what are the things that you think prevent us from doing that? I mean, it's funny how we're on holiday and how it seems a lot easier because we don't have the responsibilities of work and we do have time to go for a hike and be together. And what are ways do you think people can try to infuse that in their day even when they're not on holiday and they're working and how can we be intentional? I think it's through the act of self-awareness and just when you catch yourself frantically going through the day and you're, you become aware of that, it's just taking a pause to drop into the present moment and to really be aware of what's happening around you and it's not always possible, I understand that, but when we draw more self-awareness to the busyness of our life, mm-hmm. and when we get uh, so caught up in the chaos, we fail to be present. So this is a, a conscious and intentional effort to bring more attention to the present moment. You don't have to do anything more with it. Yeah. Just pull yourself in. Be aware of what's going on around you and stay in the present, even if it's for five seconds yeah. and look around and see the faces and the laughs and, um, you know, the environment wherever you are. And that's enough. Yeah. If you're living a very frantic life, 
if you're on vacation like we are right now, you're going to have more time to do it. So drop into the present moment for a longer period of time. If you're going for a run, really pay attention. Turn off the music. You don't always have to listen to music on a run. And listen to the sounds around you and you know, smell the earth below your feet, whatever it is. It's just dropping into the present moment with precision and clarity. And you said, and that's enough, if you're doing that. Well, thank you for that first seed of mindfulness, Sandy. The second seed of mindfulness is a story that has always touched me, and I wanted to share it today. The first time I heard it, it was from Tara Brock, who's a meditation teacher and a psychologist, and um, she's also the author of several books. And this story is about an American army sergeant that was ordered to take an anger management course. Now, this course was mainly based in mindfulness techniques. And the story begins on this American army sergeant beginning his day and having to go to the grocery store to buy some supplies for the day. And what happens is he buys a few things and he fills up his cart and he's ready to check out. And in front of him, there is an older lady with only a few items in the cart. And not only that, she has a baby in her arms. And as he's behind her, he starts reacting. He's a little bit charged up and he starts uh, wondering, why isn't she in the express lane? And he knows he's triggered because not only is she just checking out a few items, but she's now handing the baby over to the cashier. And they both start ooing and aahing over the baby. And as he's standing behind them waiting, he thinks, man, I'm going to be really late for work now. And he feels the anger rising up in his body. And he pauses to remember a few of the strategies from his anger management course. So he starts to first label and notice his feelings. He notices the anger, and underneath the anger there is anxiety. And with the anxiety, he begins to sense fear, the fear of being late, the fear of being judged. And... After labeling the anger, the anxiety, and the fear, he stays with these feelings for a moment, and he pauses again, and he takes a breath. And he begins to look at the baby. He finds some space, and he says to himself, oh, that actually is a cute baby. And now the woman in front is left, and it's his turn to cash out. And he says to the clerk, oh, you know, that, that baby was adorable. And the clerk beams at him and she says, well, thank you. That was my baby. My husband was killed in Afghanistan last year. And my mom brings her by every day, twice a day. So we have a little extra time together. And I share this story because it's a reminder. If we don't pause and we don't deepen our attention, we will live out patterns that we have been living our whole lives. 
And if we keep living out these patterns that we've been living our whole lives, it keeps us separate, separate from ourselves and our highest selves and each other. And we really don't know what's going on for other people. Not everyone has endured that type of loss, but everyone is struggling. And we are so quick to take personally and read our own lives into things. And so to be able to pause in that moment and create space and bring mindfulness and awareness inwardly and outwardly, this is what will allow us to step out of reactivity and judging and allow us to create space, hopefully, to be able to notice our feelings and to label them and to better understand as well what's going on for us in that moment. And that story has always touched me and I feel that it's a a great reminder to always have sort of an eye on yourself and what's happening for you in the moment, but what might also be happening for others. What I appreciate about that is the, I guess, the pause and notice and the non-judgment. And I had a friend today who was in touch with me, uh, something that he struggled with. He's a leader and he found himself in a very difficult situation in a meeting and he felt triggered and he didn't respond the way that he wanted to. And we had a conversation on WhatsApp about it. And what I reminded him about was don't judge your actions as being wrong. Just be curious about them. Mm -hmm. So in being curious about them, you can suddenly drop into the idea that this is a process of learning, right? Mm. And if you are open to your own learning and growth as being a process, then it's less judgmental and you're less harsh on yourself. So the pause and notice is really powerful because in your moments of being triggered, whatever you're being you know, triggered about, It sounds simple, pause and notice, but you have to consciously make the effort to do just that, which is pause and notice without judgment. So can you speak more about the without judging piece? Honestly, I think judging is so ingrained in us and it's just what comes up for us, these judgments arising in us and... I think it's about reframing and that practice that this is neither good nor bad for me. I've once heard, um, and maybe it was Tara Brock again, who said, when you look at a tree, do you judge the tree for being too short or too stubby or too big? It's about unconditional noticing. But again, it's something that we have to intentionally practice in the same way you would look at two birds on a branch. When you're observing the birds, do you try to 
control what they're doing? Or do you just simply witness what they're doing in an unconditional way? And so the same way that you would look at people in... And, and even that curiosity about, wow, what judgments are arising in me when I see somebody? And how might I ask myself what's going on for me in that moment? Yeah. Okay, so that's something great for the people to think about. And I'll move into the third seat of mindfulness yes. now. Yes. Okay. Yes. So again, four times mindfulness. We did the first seed, the second seed. Now we're going into the, to the third seed of mindfulness. And it's actually Jim Carrey, the amazing Jim Carrey. So many know him as a comedian, but he is so much more than that. He is an artist. He's a writer. He's an environmentalist. He's so passionate about the work that he is doing now, which has nothing to do with performing. And I listened to a commencement speech that he gave years ago, and I have it on my YouTube list, and I return back to it every once in a while. I think he delivered the talk in 2014. And in the talk, he shared what mindfulness and meditation has allowed him to do in his life. Because he rose to fame so quickly, he had demons that he was dealing with. And he struggled over the years. The more famous he became, he couldn't even walk on the street anymore. So he was um, really caught up in his own internal world a lot of the time. And he, he found meditation and mindfulness to help him through that. So I'm going to share a quote that is connected to another quote. It's all one seed here of mindfulness, but I will share um, Jim's quote first, and then I'm going to connect it to a quote from Jewel, the musician. So what Jim says, uh, what he said in his speech is, mindfulness and meditation allows you to separate who you truly are and what's real from the stories that run through your head. It allows you to walk behind the mind's elaborate set decoration and to see that there's a huge difference between a dog that's going to eat you in your mind and an actual dog that is going to eat you. That may sound like no big deal, but many never learn that distinction and they spend a great deal of their lives in either fight or flight response. So what Jim talked about was that idea of, you know, we are programmed genetically uh, from an evolutionary perspective to uh, have this fear instinct. And back in the day, thousands of years ago, it helped you survive. It literally helped you survive because you would have to hide from animals that were going to eat you. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, no animals are going to jump out from behind the bush and eat us. So a lot of the fears that we have are in our mind and they're, they're not real. They're perceived fears. And why I share that is 
I connected to a quote I heard on a Michael Gervais podcast when he was interviewing Jewel, the amazing musician. And what Jewel said is, fear is a thief, and it takes the past and projects it into the future, and it robs you of the only opportunity you have to create change. So those two quotes are very connected, very important to me. And I think the act of uh, meditation and, and mindfulness and being present really does allow us to better sit with our fears and assess to what extent they are perceived or real. And if it's an absolute real fear, then you know you know you have to deal with it. But know the difference be, between a perceived fear, which is oftentimes fear of people's opinions, fear of people's judgments, and know the difference. And to be able to, uh, I guess, better cope with them or deal with them. But I just wanted to share that because mindfulness really does allow you to be a little more present and attuned to um, the way that we're feeling and be attuned to what we're trying to learn and better understand about herself. So, so I have a question because I know that for you and I, when we do have these perceptions or interpretations, we have each other to talk about, discuss and unpack. How would you do that on your own? I think there are several ways that you can work on this if you're on your own. The one way is journaling. You can dump all your shit into the journal, all your fears, whatever it is, and then you can reread it later and use a highlighter and say, oh, actually, this is real. I actually owe this money. I have to pay this bill. Or this is not real. What this person says about me or thinks about me has no impact on my life right now. So I'm going to highlight this or cross it out and say this actually doesn't impact me. Um, so uh, one way is journaling. One way is I think of Gabor Mate, who you are currently studying under, and his quote that says, the attempt to escape fear only creates more of it. So learning to sit with the fear in order to double-click on it and unpack it and assess to what extent it's real or perceived. So learn to sit with, with that if you're alone. And the third thing you can do is to reach out to somebody. You know, there has to be somebody out there. Maybe it's somebody from five years ago you haven't spoken to, but somebody that is your go-to person that you can have a chat with about this and reach out to them. Make yourself vulnerable and and share what's going on. And that act of human connection can oftentimes help us through dealing with real or perceived fears. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's our third seat. I'm going to hand it over to Neela for the fourth seat. So the fourth seat of mindfulness is really simple. And my two questions for you, when is playfulness present for you? And what does it do for you? 
And before I hand it over to Andy, when I'm present with playfulness, there is a sense of lightness and ease and really being in the moment, not worrying about responsibilities and not worrying about taking yourself too seriously. And playfulness is such a great reminder. I think we're all big kids at heart. And because Andy and I are educators, we're surrounded by kids who say things that are uncensored and they make you laugh. And you're just in that moment. Um, And today, Andy and I were definitely playful. And already I I can feel the smile coming up for me. And I'll ask Andy, when is playfulness present for you? And I'm very aware and his family is very aware when he is playful. And what does it do for you? So you alluded to earlier today being playful. And uh, what happened was in answering your question is that you put on some music and then you just started dancing. And I was sitting in the chair in the corner of our beautiful little Airbnb and you were dancing away and you weren't stopping you just it kept going on and on and on. And then I started to tap my foot and then tap the other foot and move around in the chair. And then I was like, well, this isn't going to cut it. And then I stood up and I started dancing with you. You joined me. I yeah. joined you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got me uh, doing some dance moves that you were showing me. <laughs> we were laughing and we were having a little bit of fun. And it was a reminder that... Oftentimes, we can get so caught up in our lives, as I said earlier, our frantic lives, our chaotic lives that pass by in a blur, that we forget to be playful. And it made me think about uh, being back in Saudi Arabia with our boys, and they're going to school, and they're doing their own thing, and our oldest son is playing golf, and our youngest son is playing soccer, and And then Neil and I have our own thing going. And, you know, when we're together as a family, that's probably the most important time to infuse some playfulness into the environment, right? So, And what does it do for you? What does it do for you when you're playful? It just obviously buoys me up. It makes me feel light. And it changes what's really happening is it changes the the neurochemistry of our brain. Mm -hmm. You know, it releases dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, the bonding hormones, and and it um, creates a definite shift within you. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's hard to do at times because you're you're so busy. But I think Neela's seed of mindfulness is really important in just reminding us to have a playful attitude. So what I'm going to do tomorrow when we're going for a 5K walk again, when there's big sand dunes, we're walking up and down, I might tackle her down a sand dune and just say, hey, that was fun. I don't think that's going to go down very well. (laughs) We'll see tomorrow. But everybody, so we're going to wrap up the four times mindfulness uh, by a summary of the four seeds. And I will share my two. The first one was a beautiful quote in memory of Nicola Marshall, um, the plaque on the bench here in Gullen, Scotland. uh, And the quote is, 
pause a while and connect the landscape with the quiet of the sky, which was all about the power of being present to our surroundings and uh, always trying to drop into the present moment. And then the second seat of mindfulness was the Tara Brock story and that reminder to pause, to bring mindfulness and awareness inwardly and really striving to be non-judging when we look at others and connect to that, that part of us. And the third seed was the Jim Carrey quote about the difference between being eaten by an actual dog and being eaten by a dog that's in our mind, which is perceived versus real threat and taking the time to drop into the present moment to absolutely know and assess the difference. And then finally, the fourth seat of mindfulness was those two simple questions. When is playfulness present for you? And what does it do for you? And there we go, the four seeds of mindfulness. So everybody, thank you very much for listening. And we hope to do more of these episodes in the future. And wherever you are right now, we are extending peace and joy to you. So thanks for listening. Andy Vasily.